Amen. Thank you, Zach Walker and Chris Langford. Thank you, band, as well. What a song. Amen. What a testimony in song that we all need to be changed. And because of that change that Christ has made in my life and in your life, I'm different. What does it mean to be different? It means that I talk differently, maybe I think differently, and certainly I act differently than the world does. Why is that? Because there's been a change. I've been regenerated. I've been saved. I have the power of God in my heart now, and now I have the characteristics of Jesus in my heart and in my life and my lifestyle. My lifestyle should reflect the life of Christ, the love of Christ in me, the Spirit of Christ inside of me. And so that's the difference that Christ can make in your life. And I hope today that you've experienced that difference that only Jesus can make in our lives. If you haven't done that, you need to ask yourself, what am I waiting on? What am I waiting on to change? What's going to happen? What's going to be different next week or next month? And what's keeping me from becoming a Christian? What's keeping me from letting Christ change my life? And it may be like me, it was my pride, and it may be your pride And I pray God would speak to your heart today. So let's pray and ask God to speak. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you have made a difference in our lives. Lord, thank you that you've made a difference in our society, in our world today. Lord, I know it seems like things are in chaos and chaotic, but Lord, you make a difference. Your spirit is still in us. God's still on the throne, Father, and Lord, that people still being saved. So Lord, for that, we're grateful. And we would ask today that you would speak to our hearts today from your word. Challenge us today, Lord, to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And I pray today for this church. I thank you for Lindsay Lane. I thank you for how you've anointed us and raised us up for such a time as this. And Lord, I pray that we would never grow complacent or satisfied, that we would continue to grow spiritually. We'd continue to be a lighthouse set right here smack dab in Athens. That you would use us not only to make a difference in our community, in our city, but in our state, in our nation, and around the world as we go out from these walls to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, speak to our hearts today, Lord. I pray that you would bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles today to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I want to welcome our contemporary service now to our service. They've had their music there with a band led by Will Stutz, and now they're joining us via video, uh, a simulcast, so I want to welcome them. You know, I hope you come to church today, and I hope you're encouraged. You know, I, I like to be an encourager. I believe God's gifted me with a gift of exhortation, which simply means a gift of encouragement. I love to encourage people. I like to have a good time If you've been around me very long, you know I like to cut up and just have fun. I believe you can have fun at church. Amen? Some of y'all tell your face, I can have fun at church, all right? You really can. You can enjoy it. You know, but I like to be encouraged, too. I went to my doctor the other day, had a physical. You know, got to go for those physicals every now and then. And I went to my doctor, and, you know, my doctor was really kind of straightforward. and, And he said, don't eat anything fatty. And I said, oh, okay, doc, you mean like bacon and hamburgers? He said, no fatty, don't eat anything. (laughs) Oh, my word. You're talking about encouragement. He didn't encourage me at all, especially when he started singing. Fatty, fatty, two by four, can't get through the bathroom door. I mean, what's up with this? What kind of encouragement is that? And so I do hope today, when you come to Lindsay Lane, I hope you hear the word from God. I know you're going to hear a word from God. I really do. A lot of people come to our church because here's what they say. 
We, we like that you preach the Word of God. I don't know anything else. I don't know how to preach anything else, really. That's all I've ever thought and preachers are supposed to do is preach the Word of God. And they say, we don't get that everywhere. And we like to hear the Word of God. And sometimes you step on our toes. And I say, well, just think, I stepped on mine first. I've been through this all week. And so as I deliver the Word of God today, I hope all of us are challenged but I hope all of us are encouraged. I really do. I want you to be encouraged today, being at Lindsey Lang. The Church of Philadelphia. This is church number six in our series in Revelation, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. And so we're on church number six, verse 7, chapter 3. And to the angel, the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, right. And so we see the church number six is Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about Philadelphia being the faithful church. It was situated in a very strategic place. It was located on the main route from Rome to the east. Therefore, it was entitled the Gateway to the East. It was a great church. It was often called, get this, it was often called Little Athens because of its great temples that Philadelphia had. The only problem with the location was that the area was prone to earthquakes. Philadelphia sat on a geological uh, fault, a fault line. Matter of fact, in 17 B.C., it was destroyed by a severe earthquake, which also destroyed Sardis, by the way, and 10 other cities. Philadelphia, as we know, we have a city in our America called Philadelphia. It's the city of love or the brotherly love. The word philo means brotherly love. So this was a loving church. Not only, get this, not only did the church of Philadelphia love one another, but it's a higher calling than just loving one another. We have to love people in and around us. Amen? We must love all people. And I found out when I got saved, when I got changed, the difference that God made in me, now I love everybody. I don't like everybody, but I love everybody. Amen? There's some people just rub me the wrong way, and I don't like sin. We're not to love sin. We're not to court sin. And so we don't want to love sin, but we love the sinner. That's what we mean by that. You ever heard that? Don't love sin. God loves you, but he doesn't love the sinner. He doesn't. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. God loves you when you're at your worst. That's why you can't clean yourself up to come to Christ. He loves you already. He's not going to love you anymore. He's not going to love you any less because God is love. The very essence of God is love. He loves you today. So quit trying to perform for God. Quit trying to say, well, God will love me if I do this. He already loves you. But he don't want to leave you the way you are. He wants to make a difference. He wants to change you and I. He's in the changing business. And so he wants to make us, take us from a sinner to a saint. And so the church at Philadelphia had a vision. And we have a vision here at Lindsay Lane. And the church at Philadelphia had a vision to reach the lost world. That's one reason God's blessing this great church. Because we're getting out above, above and among ourselves out where the people are. And going out to where the people are. And so the Lord, what he did for this church, he set an open door for them. He gave them an open door. An open pass, a gateway to the east. He gave them this strategic place to make a difference. We're right here smack dab in the middle of Athens. Madison, Huntsville, Decatur, Florence, Nashville, all around us. 
We're strategically placed to make a difference. And just like Philadelphia made a difference, and God's given us an open door. In, in, in reference to the church history, you know, each one of these seven churches had a history in which they, an era in history where they were located. As I studied this great church, and, and I was studying this and read, it's probably the era in, set between 1750 and 1925. And the reason that this Philadelphia fits in this church history is because it was a church of a great awakening. It was a faithful church. And this would be the area of D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and Hudson Taylor. These great men of God that made a difference in their generation. And so Philadelphia made a difference in their generation. Therefore, listen, God gave no condemnation or condemning words to this great church, just like the church at Smyrna, there were no condemning words, only words of praise. It's because they were making a difference. It's because they wasn't fussing and fighting in the church. They had a mission. They had a vision. And God was leading them beyond themselves. And so what did God do? God blesses obedience. God blesses us when we have His heart for others. And so therefore, this was a great church. They were right in their doctrine, they were right in godly living, and they were right in their love for others. Here's a great truth in your outline today. I hope you got your outline. I hope you're following with me. Here's a great truth. Without love, doctrine becomes legalism. Don't ever forget that. Well, I'm 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 a man of the word. I'm a woman of the word of God. I, I really know the word of God. The key is do you love others? It doesn't know it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, it's how much love you have. Listen to this truth. Without love, doctrine becomes legalism. And without doctrine, love becomes humanism. It's all about me. See? So you've got to have a balance there of doctrine and love together. Now, look at verse B, uh, 7b. Right to the church of Philadelphia. Now, notice what he says here. Jesus writing, Jesus speaking, John writing. These things says he who is holy and true. Isn't that awesome that Jesus Christ refers to himself, as John writes, that he is holy and true? What does that mean? He's a holy God, he's a holy Savior, and he's true in his character. He's true in his person, if you will. He's a holy God. He's, he's true in his actions, and he's true in his purposes. He is a holy God, a true and holy God. But listen, let's read on. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ holy and true, what else? Look in verse 7. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts. And he shuts... And no one can open. Wow. What is, what is Jesus saying here? What is John writing here? What do you mean that Jesus is the one that can open the door and no man can close it? Or he can close the door and no man can open it? Well, first of all, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 22, verse 22. It's a quote there in your Bible. Look at it. 
He's quoting Isaiah 22, 22. Now, what I want you to do for a moment, I want to show you something. Here's how you study your Bible. It's very exciting to me when I'm studying my Bible and I come across a verse like this and I have a study Bible, which means I have a concordance. I have margins in the middle of my Bible so I can look at that text and find out what other texts support in a contextual study. How do you bring all of it together and not build a doctrine on one statement? Because you study the Word of God. So turn with me in Isaiah chapter 22. Stay with me for a moment. I want to help you with a Bible study. So stay with me. Get your phone out of your Bible. I hope you got your Bible. But whatever it is, I want you to look at it. Isaiah chapter 22. This is one of the prophets. One of the prophets, Isaiah. Now look in Isaiah chapter 22. I'll give you a moment to find it. But you're going to have to, if you can't find it, just write it down and go to it later. All right. Isaiah chapter 22. Now, God's speaking to Israel, and, and Isaiah's a prophet, and uh, Assyria was about to invade Judah. If you read the text, they're in a war, always in a war there. And there was a leader there by the name of Shebna, and, and uh, he was a treacherous leader. He didn't do what God told him to do. Now, look in verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my service... Elikim, the son of Hikaliah, and I will, I will clothe him with your robe. Now, I want you to follow what he's doing here. Uh, Hikaliah here, he's, he's speaking to him. He's replacing Shebna, who was a bad leader, with a good leader. But I want you to know the reference here. Watch this. Watch it, uh, Elikim. Watch Elikim here as we look. And strengthen him with your belt. I'll clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of J- Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now, don't miss verse 22. The key of the house of David. The key... Of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulders. This is Elikim. Now watch this. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Now, pastor, what are you saying? What's significant here? Well, Elikim is a picture of Jesus Christ. Notice how God had a bad leader. Shebna was a bad leader. He was all about himself. He replaced Shebna with Elikim. Now watch what happens here. He anoints him. He gives him the keys to the house of David, if you will, and puts the authority on his shoulder to lead Israel. Now watch this. It's very interesting when you look at it. Now, that's a great statement. He laid upon his shoulders. Remember in Isaiah, how he said that Jesus had the government upon his shoulders. Remember that? Now, Elikim has the authority of Israel, if you will, the house of David. He gave him the keys. The authority of the house of David laid upon his shoulders. Now, Revelations chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus Christ has the keys of Hades and death. Now, Elikim... Elikim was a prime minister, if you will. He was a leader there in Israel, the house of David. And so he had the authority. Listen to this. Elikim had the authority to say who had the right to see the king. Nobody could come to see the king 
there of Israel unless they went through the prime minister, the authority of Elikam. And he also had the power to decide on who could come in, who could go out. And, and so he had the keys, if you will, to the house of David. So simply saying that he had the authority there in Israel. Now, when you think about him being a uh, type of David, think about this. Christ is the heir of the throne of David. That's what the Bible teaches. He's the, he's, the, he's the heir of the throne of David, God's spiritual house. It's called Zion. It's called the house of God. It refers to that as, as in Jerusalem. Now, Luke 1, 32, 33 says, Jesus shall reign over the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, forever. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. It's right before Revelation. Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to show you something. This is just interesting. I want you, I want you to see, see this. Now look in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and look in verse uh, 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Now notice, speaking of Moses here over the house of God as well. Remember, he called Moses. And he says, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those which would be spoken afterward. Moses is back in the Old Testament, but he's speaking of Moses being on the house of Israel for those who would come after him. Now watch verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, over his own house, whose house we are. Notice this. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So Elikim was a type of Jesus in the Old Testament that God had the authority to place as prime minister over Israel, which was a type of Jesus, which is to come. And now we see, we live in the New Testament age, if you will. We see that Jesus is over his own house. He's over the own house, Jesus being God, over the house of God. Now, I want to show you something. I want you to watch this. This is what's fun. Watch this. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Oh, I'm about to have a spell. I'm telling you, this is just, when you look at this and put it all together, it makes the Bible come alive. It's why we study the Bible. It's why you have to have the Old Testament alongside of the New Testament. You just don't throw the Old Testament away. You learn from it. It's referenced the New Testament. For instance, watch chapter 16 of Matthew and look with me in verse 18. And I say, and I say that you... That you are Peter. Remember Peter's declaration in verse number 17? That you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Do you see that? Now look in verse 19. And I will give you, Peter, disciples, apostles. I will give you the keys... To the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What's the importance of this? Well, God's opening the door for the disciples, just like Elikum in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus knew he was going back to heaven. He said, before I go, guys, listen, Peter, come in close. You just told me that the church is the church because it's built on the rock of me, that I am the living Christ, and so well you spoke. Now, Peter, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the keys 
to the kingdom. And not only you, but to the other apostles. And we just read in Hebrews, not only to Jesus and the apostles, but also to you and I. Now, what is the keys? You know what he's referring to there? The keys of the kingdom? The gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth that Jesus is the Christ. That's the key to getting into heaven. That's the key to the doors opening and the doors shutting. Is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only did he give it to Elikim in the Old Testament, he gave it to Peter in the New Testament to build his church. And now he gives the keys to the kingdom of God to you and I. The gospel has the authority to say who comes in and who goes out. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the door, by the way. He is the door. He can shut it. He can open it. Whatever he wants. And right now, by the way, church, the door's open. For anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. One day the door's going to be closed. One day the door's going to be closed. But right now it's open. And you and I have the keys to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the church at Philadelphia was doing. And here's some reference to the open door. Here's the truth in your outline. So in the New Testament, an open door speaks of opportunity for ministry. Now, I want you to catch this. I'm going to tie it together. You and I, as a New Testament church, we have the open doors of opportunity to share the keys of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to those in and around us. Here's some examples in the New Testament. Acts 14, 27. They reported that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Remember that? 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says this. For a great and effective door has opened to me. The Apostle Paul speaking there. A great and effective door has been opened. And in Colossians 4, 3. Praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. The gospel of Christ. And so the door has been opened. The New Testament is full of that. The door being opened. And so you and I have an open door to share the gospel. And so we have the king, keys to the kingdom of heaven, which is a great opportunity. See, when you study the Bible, those things come alive to you. That just like in the Old Testament, God had a plan for Israel, but all the way to the New Testament, he used Peter and Paul and all of these guys to open the door. And now you and I as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride and body of Christ, we have the same open door. And we've got to share the gospel while the door's open. Now, two things I want to give you that obstacles to the church at Philadelphia. Let's just go through this text. There were two obstacles that they faced in their day, uh, a church of Philadelphia, they had to overcome. Number one was a lack of strength. Their lack of strength. Look in verse 8. Let's read it together. Verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. Notice that. It's interesting. You have a little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, their, their obstacle was they had little strength. Their prop, uh, Philadelphia was strategically located, but it was probably a smaller church than some of the others and not as strong, if you will, as being a small congregation. But yet they were a faithful church. Of all the churches you'd want to join of those seven, this is the one you'd want to be a member of. Amen? Now, notice what it says, you had little strength. That's not, that's not an indictment toward them, a condemnation. That is a compliment because here's why. Here's why. Some churches, they're growing, they get big, any resemblance? 
they forget about God. Oh, we got this great program now. You ought to come to our children's program. You ought to come and just see our beautiful church. We've got nice pews. We're not like those little smaller churches. We've got so many opportunities here in this church for you. And it becomes all about them and not about God. It doesn't matter if you're a big church or a little church. When you start replacing God with you, you're in trouble. Little churches can do that. Big churches can do that. So what is he saying here? Well, we don't have much strength. You know what God says to that? Amen. I'm, I'm about to do something. Because you, you're recognizing that it's not you. You don't have the capacity to do it. But I'll do it in and through you. Well, I'm just a church member. I'm just one of those that greets at the door. Amen. God can do great and mighty things in and through you. You don't have to be in the choir. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be the pastor for God to use you mightily. I don't have much strength. Good, he does. He does. And that's what we need to understand. And then they weren't ashamed of him. That's another com- uh, uh, comment that he had, a, a commendation that he had. They weren't ashamed of his name. They weren't afraid to go out and pray in public. They weren't afraid to, in their crowd at, at the work or at school to say, hey, I'm a Christian, are you? They weren't afraid to do They weren't afraid to wear the name of Christ. Amen? Now, look at this truth I've given you here. It's not the size or strength of a church that determines its ministry. It's the faithfulness in the call and command of the Lord. It's the faithful. That's why God calls this the faithful church. That's why he blessed them. No condemnation toward this church. They had little strength. They were conscious that they were strong only in Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Listen to what Paul said. My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus said to him. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, he's strong. So Lindsay Lane, doesn't matter. We have a bigger church now. We've grown, got a lot of great ministries, all those kind of things. But until we recognize that Jesus is our strength, we're limited. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we have that kind of attitude, I can go, I can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's going to bless this great church. We're going to reach our world for him. And God's going to write our name in glory. Only because of him and not because of us. And we've got to be careful about that, making it about us. The second obstacle they had was the opposition of Satan, just like the church of uh, uh, Smyrna. Look in uh, verse number 9. Indeed, I will, make the, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Remember that? The church at Smyrna said almost the exact, exact things. Who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. We could say this. They say they're Christians, but they're not. See, Christ and the disciples had to deal with these Pharisees who said, hey, I'm the religious ruler. No, you're not. You wouldn't know Jesus Christ if you met him in a 40-acre field. But you might put on a good show. You look religious. You act religious. That's what Jesus is saying. They're not the real deal. The opposition because Satan's attacking, as he always does. They say they're Jews and are not, but they lie. Notice this. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before my feet. Is that what he says? Uh-uh. I will make those who are pretenders one day will worship at your feet. Your feet. We'll get into that in the tribulation period, by the way. 
your feet. Isn't that ironic? He's saying a church in Philadelphia. Hey, all of those, you're in a small church, yeah. But one day, all of those out there, those big shots, those hypocrites, they're going to worship at your feet. Wow. And they'll know that I have loved you. Man, what a word. And so they're having to fight Satan. You know, he's always, he's always prevailing. But by the way, look at this. There's one thing he won't prevail against. What's that? The church. Remember what he said in, in uh, Matthew 16? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan, throw anything you want to at the church, but the church will stand. You know why? That's my bride. That's my body. The church will stand, even through the tribulation period. We're going to talk about that when we get in chapter 6. How the church is going to be raptured, I believe, and we'll talk about that even today somewhat. All right, so the opposition of Satan. Paul faced many opportunities, but he also faced many obstacles. And by the way, you do too. Every day we face opportunity, but also obstacles. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. A great infective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversities. Notice that. All of us are going to face obstacles along our journey. But we also have faith. God's blessed us. He provides. And you see, when you look at these seven churches, we own number six. When you look at each one of them, we're trying, that's why I'm taking the time to preach on every one of these seven churches. When you look at them, the key element to any church, any Christian, is faith. You've got to have strong faith. God always blesses obedience, and He always blesses faith. And so down through our years, we've had some obstacles here at Lindsay Lane. Not many, but I want to tell you something. We've had a lot of great opportunities. And we seized a lot of those by faith. When I came here in 1992, we had 32 total people. 32 total people. I, wasn't a, I had no training really as a pastor. All I knew was I, was I was leading. That's what they needed was a leader. And we began to lead. We began to pray to God. God, I'm weak. I don't know this stuff. If you don't show up, we're sunk. And I'm telling you, we live like that. We prayed that way. If you don't show up, we're sunk. I'll never forget, 1993, we built our first building. It was an educational building with some classrooms. I drew up the plans at 11 o'clock at night. We built it. We didn't have an architect. We just built it. <laughs> and somebody helped us with stamps and drawings anyway. But anyway, we built it. And so God began to bless. And people began to see, man, listen, we don't, can't afford this, but God's provided. And he did provide. And we began to grow. And in 1996, we built our second sanctuary, seat 500 people. We were in it six months and went to two services. It's unbelievable how God began to bless this little bitty church. This little bitty church with, with a little bitty pastor who didn't know anything, but we love Jesus. And Jesus, if you don't show up, son, you were there. We were sunk. Don was there. We're sunk if you don't show up. And God began to show up. And, and then in 1998, we built our Family Life Center and added a children's wing. In 2002, we built this great edifice. It was unbelievable from a church where we came from to walk into this building. I'll never forget the first Sunday I walked through those doors. And when I walked in, I almost fainted. It was one thing to see the pews, but having them filled with something else. And I just couldn't believe it. We began to give God the glory. And then we added our children's facility, our 42,000 feet children's facility in 2008. And then our Lindsay Lane Christian Academy in 2009. And we started with 38 students. And now we're up to 450 students. Pastor, were you just bragging on it? Mm -mm. What I'm telling you. I'm just telling you what God will do 
when you give him the glory and when you say, Lord, I can't do this, God shows up. That's why a lot of churches aren't being blessed because they can't get God in it. It's too much about them and not about him. Don't ever forget, we got to where we are today by the power of God. We won't go one step further without him. I'm just telling you, church, we got to have a vision like the church of Philadelphia had a vision. What was their vision? Reaching lost people. That's part of our vision. I'm going to share it with you in August, so get ready. August is coming, vision month. Just get ready for August. You're going to know our vision by the time you leave here in August. I promise you. <laughs> what, what, Randy? They're going to know it. Amen. All right. Now, let me give you a truth. I got to get back to this outline. I got the. All right. Unbelief sees obstacles, but faith sees the opportunities. I like that. Unbelief sees the obstacles. Oh, we can't do it. <laughs> and God said, Oh, man. Have you not grown by faith? You can do it through me. And by the way, individually, you got to have faith. You got to trust the Lord. He'll do great and mighty things. All right? Now, uh, by the way, you know why he can do that? He holds the keys. He can open your door or close it. He can open up your opportunity or put an obstacle there. It's up to you. You want him to remove obstacles? Start trusting him for opportunities. Amen? And amen. Now, let me give you these three encouraging promises to the church that he gives us, starting with verse uh, number 9. And uh, look, watch the ver- these are three encouraging promises of the faithful church. Look, verse number 9. He says in the uh, second part, I will make them come and worship before you to know that I have loved you. Number one, he will take care of their enemies. He will take care of your enemies. Do we have enemies? Yes. We're to love our enemies. But it doesn't negate the fact that we have them. And by the way, as long as they're a devil, we're going to have an enemy. Amen? As long as there's a devil, we're going to have an enemy. He is the enemy. And he uses people too. By the way. All right? Now, one day people are going to know that Christians were right. They're just going to know that. God's got a way of doing that. So we don't have to beat them over the head with it. We just need to live it. Amen? And one day they're going to know, all oh, those Christians, you know, they, they were right probably. Amen. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14, I think it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to this verse of Scripture. He, he just quoted verse 9, I will make them come to your feet. Look what he said in Isaiah 60, 14. And the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate before the soles of your feet. That's prophesied years ago in Isaiah. And now here in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Revelation, he said one day they're going to be prostrate at your feet. In other words, I'm going to overcome your enemy. You don't have to do it. Trust me and do it through me. That's why we don't have to be ugly toward people. Just tell Jesus on them. That's all you got to do. Tell Jesus on them. Lord, he hit me. Tell Jesus. Let him fight your battle. And by the way, he'll fight your enemies if you'll only let him. And that's what he's trying to tell this great church. Here's a great truth. If you take care of God's work, he will take care of our battles. He fought, David said, he'll fight my battle. He'll take out Goliath. And by the way, that's what faith is. He did it with confidence. You know what he said? He walked up to Goliath, little old boy, had a little slingshot. I'm going to take your head off. You're going to do what? Mr. Goliath? Great champion of the Philistines. 
I'm about to take your head off. Wow. Now, he didn't say it that arrogantly. He just said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to kill you, man. And he just laughed. He hawed. Noah built an ark. People laughing. Never rain. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's about to rain, folks. Why do you know that? Because God told me. I'm a child of God. And so God will help us with our enemies. Number two, he'll help us through the tribulation. Now, I'm going to talk about this in chapter 6. I'm not going to belabor it today, but in chapter 6, I'll get to this. Now, watch this, verse number 10. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere, don't quit, don't give up, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Now, I happen to believe with all my heart, he's talking, I will keep you from the tribulation period. I believe that's what he's talking about. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. Not just, a, not just from the Roman rule here. They're persecuting you, and that was something. But I'm going to keep you. What does he say in verse 10? Watch it. Which shall come upon the whole world. Not just the Romans, or not just where you're living today. But I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial when the whole world's under trial. That's what he's saying. Verse number 10. Watch it. To test those who dwell on the earth to test those who continuously dwell. Present past verb there in the Greek, who d continuously dwell on the earth. And you've got to understand this. He's referring in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, as we go through the tribulation, he's referring to the Jacob's trial, the hour of Jacob's trial. That's what Israel referred to it. And so we must too. And so the, the uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the rapture of the church that they'll be delivered from the tribulation period. Now, in Revelation, here's a good point. In Revelations 1 through 3, listen to me, I'm trying to talk fast, so listen fast. In Revelations 1 through 3, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned 19 times. Check it out. In verses 1 through, chapters 1 through 3 in Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times. But in chapter 4 onward, it's never mentioned again. Until you get to chapter 22, verse 16, talks about the church in heaven. Why? The church is never mentioned in chapter 4 through chapter 22 again because they're out of here. It's all about the tribulation period. And so we're out of here. But you've got to be a Christian to be out of here. Amen. Not just a church member. Can I get a witness? You've got to be a child of God. And so I want you to hear what he's saying here to the church of Philadelphia. The hour of trial's coming. And by the way, he didn't say, I'm going to deliver you through the hour of trial. He said, I'm going to deliver you from the hour of trial. There's a vast difference in that statement. I'm not just going to deliver you through it. You're not going to go through it. I'm going to deliver you from it. Hallelujah. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we need to understand what the Bible's trying to teach us. And so the hour of trial is, was coming. And so, uh, you know, and, and I'll talk about the pre-tribulation view, which I happen to believe there's a mid-tribulation. Some believe at the first three and a half years, when it's kind of hunky-dory on earth, got a world leader, everything's kind of going cool. Then the second three and a half years of tribulation, all hell breaks out. Some believe they're raptured then. And then some people believe in post-tribulation, that the church goes through the tribulation, and then they're raptured after that. We'll talk about all of that. That's in uh, previews coming, feature attractions. I remember when I used to go to the show, they had feature attractions. You got to see two movies in a cartoon for 35 cents. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Rich Theater, I was there. <laughs> Jamie, you remember that? 
Yeah, you old. Amen. <laughs> Number three. By the way, I, I like, I read David Jeremiah, and in his book, he, he wrote about a pastor who, who wrote this. If I'm gone when the tribulation begins, I'm a pre-trib. If I stay around for three and a half years, then I'm raptured. And if I'm here after the tribulation, then I'm a post-trib. Whatever happens, I'm a pan-trib. Everything will just pan out. <laughs> Don't bank on that. Don't be a pan-trib. Know what you believe about the tribulation. Know what you believe. Amen? Now, let me give you number three. He would greatly honor them. The, th the third thing he mentions here is verse number 11 and 12. He would greatly honor them. Look in verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Amen? Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple. You ever heard this statement? Well, he's a pillar in the church. Have you heard that? Wow, he's a, he's a great man of God. She's a great, they're just a pillar of the church. Well, this is where they get that. I'm going to show you something else. Watch this. I love this. Watch. Watch what he says. He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out, and he shall go out no more. See, you don't lose it. Once you're in, you're in. I will write his name. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new, my new name. You got an ear? Better hear. Amen? And let him hear what the Spirit of God say. Now, what does it mean, I will greatly honor them? A pill in the temple of God. It's symbolism again. It's symbolism. Remember, Philadelphia was in an area of earthquakes. Remember that? So to have the pillar of the church... The physical pillars in the church would help give it stability and security, if you will. So what Jesus is doing is seizing on this imagery. He's seizing on this symbolism of the pillar of the actual church. And then he's putting it all together. And they shall go out no more. Augustine once said this. Augustine said, Who would not yearn for that kind of city out of which no friend departs and who no enemy enters? Now, What's the point here in this text? Let me give it to you. In the Old Testament and in the, in the symbolism of, of Jesus' day and in the Old Testament as well, ancient cities had great leaders. You know, Alexander the Great and others. All of these had great leaders. Now watch this. And what they would do is erect these great pillars on the temple and they would put the names of these great leaders on the temple. Their names was written on the pillar of that temple. Now, let me give you a verse to go check me out on. It's in Isaiah, I mean, uh, uh, it's in 1 uh, uh, Kings chapter 7, verse 21. Write it on your outline. Verse, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 21. When Solomon erected his great temple, God allowed him, not David, to build the great temple. He had the pillars in front, and on one of them he wrote the name Jacqueline. Jacqueline means to establish. And then he wrote the name Boaz on the other big temple, which means to strength. So get the picture. He built the great temple, had two pillars in the front. One of them had Jacqueline on it. The other one had Boaz, established and strength. Now, what's the application to that? What is Jesus saying here? Look in verse number 12. Watch it. Here it is, putting it together. He who overcomes, I will make them a pillar 
in my temple. Now get this. There's actually no temple in heaven. In Revelations, we'll get to it. There's no light in heaven. There's no stars and moons in heaven. You don't need them. Jesus is the light of the world. You don't need a temple. Christ is the temple. But he's saying, listen, as, as, as First Kings there, as they wrote, Solomon wrote the names of those guys on the pillars of the church, I'm going to write your name on the pillar of heaven. You'll have a new name written down in glory. Just like Jesus said, he has that name above all names. That's the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And one day, as we, when we get to heaven, and he comes back to judge the world with us. We're going to have our robes of white. We're going to be in our glorified body. We're going to come back with Jesus Christ. He's setting up the new Jerusalem right here on earth. And all of those enemies are going to come down and bow at your feet. Your feet. Jesus' feet. They're going to bow. He's going to make your enemies the footstool of him. And we'll be with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I just thank you as we unpack revelations and we look at these churches, Lord. Lord, help us to do so with humility and love in our hearts. Lord, we know we win. We may be persecuted. We may be going through trials as Zach and Chris sang about. We're going through trial and tribulation. There's cancer. There's floods. There's earthquakes. There's all type of disease and disasters. So while we're on earth, we're going to experience all of those things. And then, Lord, we have enemies. The devil will see to it. He's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to put people in our path that's going to dog us, call us Jesus freaks, make fun of us, put down the name of Jesus, curse us. It's going to get worse and worse as time unfolds. But, Lord, as we just read, he who overcomes, Lord, you're going to bring the enemies down. You're going to exalt those who love you. Those who are called Christians, who wear the name of Christ and not ashamed of it. There's coming a day when you're going to establish your kingdom right here on earth. And we're going to be in that kingdom with you, Lord, the millennial kingdom. And I pray today, Father, that as we contemplate right now the moving of the Holy Spirit of God, I pray even now that we would examine and evaluate our own lives and our own heart. Father, I pray we won't be left behind. I pray in Jesus' name that you would move in great power even now and touch those hearts that are lost. Touch those who don't know they're going to heaven. Touch those who are not really sure their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, you would draw them to you. Draw them to this altar. Draw them to let us help them. Just take them out and talk to them and whatever they need to do. I pray they would do that before it's everlasting too late. Some need to come and join this great church. Like Philadelphia, Lord, I believe we're a blessed church because we have a vision of reaching the lost. And I pray for Lindsay Lane. Some need to come be a part of us. Some need to just come and repent and pray, confess, or maybe pray for others. I pray this invitation would glorify the precious name of Jesus. That's my prayer. That's my heart. And now, Lord, do what no man can do. And that's magnify the precious name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and save the lost. Change us, Lord. Make us different in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to ask you to come. Why would we ask you to come? You know what Jesus did? Jesus gave an invitation. Come unto me. All you who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. We've given you an invitation to come to know Jesus. 
Maybe you're you're weary. Maybe you're heavy laden. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're lost and you know it. Would you come today? Maybe you want to join this church. We'd love to show you how you can become a member of Lindsay Lane. Maybe you want to come to the altar. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to come right now. As we sing, you come. What?